0: Fun one for y'all today. We are joined by Tim Haggerty, uh, play-by-play voice of the AAA El Paso Chihuahuas. I spent some time talking to him about uh, what got him into broadcasting. Also talked about some of the prospects there in El Paso, as well as his new book. Let's talk about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked on MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, baseball writer for Sports Illustrated. Thank you for making this your first listen every single day. And today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Because Bet Online is where the game starts. Like I said at the Open, fun one for you today. Uh, just enjoy talking to Tim Haggerty. Uh, voice of the El Paso Chihuahuas, AAA, San Diego Padres affiliate. I really enjoyed getting to hear his perspective on some of these players. Eggy Rosario, Luis Campusano. It uh, was nice to talk to him about his background and some of the stuff that he did uh, before he got to El Paso. And then obviously the stories. Uh, you know, that's that's the big thing here is is he wrote a book all about interesting stories in the minor league? So we kind of went through some of the interesting trade compensation in history, some of the interesting things that have delayed games in history. Uh, all in all, fun conversation. Check it out. And we are joined by Tim Haggerty, broadcaster and play-by-play guy for the AAA El Paso Chihuahuas, as well as author of the up, the upcoming book, Tales from the Dugout, 1001 Humorous, Inspirational, and Wild Anecdotes from Minor League Baseball. Tim thanks for joining the show. And... To kind of open us up, I want to ask about, is it true that you've broadcast almost every single El Paso Chihuahuas game that has ever happened?
1: Yes, all but uh, very few. Uh, 2015, I had Laren Judge that sidelined me for two days, married. Um, But yeah, this is the ninth season of the team, and I I was with the Padres AAA team in Tucson prior to El Paso. That was the franchise that moved Mm -hmm. to El Paso. So I was lucky to get to move with the team and be part of the stadium. Uh, When I moved there, the the stadium wasn't even built yet. (laughs) So that's what's been so fun for me. You know, when you're the only voice of a team, you sort of become the unofficial historian. Like if if somebody says, hey, whatever happened to this guy? You know, you're the person that gets asked.
0: It seems like a pretty nice role as far as, you know, the stadium's not even completely built yet. So obviously you're the first person and you're kind of setting all of the the precedence for how things are done and, and how things are going. And I know that with this franchise, not you know necessarily in El Paso, but the franchise, there's a great legacy of of broadcasters from um, Vince Contronio, Matt Viscursion, Matt Hicks, and a lot of guys who have gone on to to professional baseball, uh, have gone on to be the voice of a school for college baseball, or even the ESPN in Matt Viscursion's case. When you took the job and you moved from, I think it was AA Mobile here, uh, what what were your feelings about, look at this legacy that I'm stepping into, and I'm now the next person to sit in this booth? How how intimidating was that?
1: Yeah, you did your homework on El Paso broadcast history. Uh, I've met all three guys you mentioned. All three are great. And what was obvious to me was just how much all of them loved El Paso. Uh, there's something about El Paso. It's a big city that's not near any other cities. Mm-hmm. So with that, there's such pride for everything. Always now, but in their case, the El Paso Diablos. That El Paso has always been a very um, enthusiastic minor league fan base. Always known for loud volume from the fans. I think that, uh, from what I hear, talking about that topic, uh, the former owner of the Double A El Paso Diablos, somebody that really uh, took his time evaluating broadcasters. I think he's somewhat given credit for that, that when they were hiring somebody new, he really dove in and listened closely to all the, I guess, back then cassette tapes. Um, So I I think it's something like that where people are going to compare you to something else. It's really important not to be a cover band for somebody else to really just truly be yourself because uh, some people are going to like this person better. Some people are going to like this person better. I, the radio station that we're on 600 ESPN El Paso for years before the Dodgers games. So there's people uh, that grew used to hearing Vin Scully in El Paso uh, talk about an act to follow on a, a station. So you, uh, you know, I remember when I first started, um, my second season was at double a mobile 2005 and I would team had ever had, I was replacing a very talented professional Tom Nichols who was there the first eight years of the team and I remember mm-hmm. there was this preseason banquet I've never even called a game yet and the season ticket holder comes up to me introduces himself and while he's shaking my hand he said you know we have a long way to go to replace Tom Nichols like I haven't even called a game yet give me a break <laughs> but at the time I was only 23 and I think I, I took comments like that um they bothered me they they made me mm. uncomfortable but now, you know what, 17 years later, I think you just understand that it's part of the broadcasting world. I hope to have a high approval rating, but uh, some people will like you more than others.
0: Yeah, and and obviously people change and mature as they get farther into their jobs. And so I'm sure that after a while, people understand like, okay, this is how he does things. It's different from the last guy, but we love it or we appreciate it. Um, when you kind of look back at your your formative years – falling in love with baseball and, and deciding I'm going to go into sports media and into broadcasting, who can you see as like the big influences in the way that you call games and the way that you process and understand the game of baseball?
1: Yeah. When I was a kid growing up, the Sean McDonough, uh, who's now known for ESPN among other things. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's really important not to sound like other people. I've made an effort to do that. I don't, think that I do sound like others. But it was funny. This last year, my son who's now used five, and we had on an NHL game. And Sean McDonough was doing the play by play. And for the first and only time in my son's life, he said, Daddy, this announcer sounds like you. (laughs) So it kind of showed me that uh, when you mentioned phrase formative years, I wonder if something when it came to pitch or infection or voice, did rub off on me with Sean McDonough. Um, I mean, that can't be a coincidence that my son said that, and he's never said it about any other person on the radio or TV. And that was the guy that I listened to every night watching Red Sox games in Massachusetts. Um, and, and I've been really lucky since I've been doing this professionally to have a lot of other broadcasters who helped me along the way. I think when I entered, it, I thought it was a really competitive industry, which it is, but in a lot of cases, people are willing to help you, whether Mm -hmm. it's uh, uh, giving you pointers if you ask or submitting a demo, or maybe even when I was younger and really trying to find the next job, help you out with, with a job lead that isn't publicly out there. So I was pleasantly surprised at what a fraternity it is.
0: And that's something consistent that I've heard from so many uh, sports media people, from so many broadcasters and play-by-play guys is just, you know, how much it's a brotherhood more so than it's a competitive environment. Um, outside of the guys that you've met and worked with and things like that, who has been like, who are some of your favorite broadcasters of all time? I mean, I'm, for most people, Vince Gulley is the first one that comes to mind. I'm sure that that's probably something that you have thought about before, but just who are some of your favorites in the past?
1: Yeah, you know, I grew up on the East Coast, and the truth is when Vin Scully was doing national games, I really was younger and wasn't watching then. Uh, When -hmm. I was watching the World Series, it was Bob Costas and then Joe Buck. And um, the thing I admired the most about Vin Scully was just how good he was at an old age. I remember watching him late in his Dodgers career, just thinking, wow, Mm -hmm. this guy's 84 or whatever it was at that time that I was watching. But as far as announcers that I really like listening to, um, I do like to do that when When you're getting your scorebook ready, put on the MLB app uh, or put on MILB.com and grab some favorite announcers. And, you know, I'm not necessarily saying that these people are the best, but these are the people that I like to think about that kind of help my mindset get in the right place. Uh, So the people I go to the most are, which is Ken Korak and Vince Catronio. Uh, Washington Nationals Radio, I think, is outstanding. That's Dave Jagler and Charlie Slows. Joe Block is a good friend at Pittsburgh, so I'll have him on sometimes. Uh, Josh Wetzel with the Rochester Red Wings is someone who's become a friend and I think is outstanding. Kind of the, the core group I'll I'll listen to. You know, it's like it's like musicians. You're you're not saying that band A is better than band B, but sometimes you're in a certain mood, you want to listen to something. So um those are kind of some names that first come to mind.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at BetOnline. BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs, your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. You can get reviews and news of every league. Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, golf, eSports. They have everything. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering information, live in-game betting scores and more. They have you covered. So head to bet online today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action because bet online is where the game starts. We are talking with Tim Haggerty, broadcaster for the AAA El Paso Chihuahuas and author of tales from the dugout. 1,001 humorous, inspirational wild anecdotes from minor league baseball that comes out uh, this March, March 21st. Uh, So Since we have you on, and obviously this is a prospect podcast, I do want to kind of get some of your feedback and some of your thoughts. Um, There was four current or former Chihuahuas that were moved in the Juan Soto trade. Um, What is the the reaction in a clubhouse when a trade like that happens one level above where you are? Uh, You know, like, how do the players react? What did the players say? And kind of what's the general... Thought of okay, now I'm an injury or an, one illness away from taking the same lineup as Juan Soto and playing with these guys.
1: It's funny you say illness that that with COVID that has become a thing. We, we used to always just say, "I've heard players joke about that uh, we're a COVID outbreak away from going to the majors." But <laughs> um, the the thing that I noticed the most when it comes to the trade deadline is actually the couple of days before. I remember years mm-hmm. ago there was this player uh, with El Paso who went on to play for the Padres and and he just kind of sidled up to me in the dugout before batting practice one day. And he said, so what do you think is going to happen on the deadline? Like it was so obvious that it was just weighing on this guy, not that he was going to get traded, but he's thinking if player A, B and C get traded in the majors, I might get called up and in his case, he was right. Um, This year, El Paso was at to call the deadline. They did not have a good series. Uh, and one member of the of the staff with the team down there in the dugout during games, he said, we just got to get past the deadline. He said, guys are not focused on this day's game, which is understandable. Um, years ago, I interviewed Bobby Kelty. Remember him? Twins, Blue Jays. Mm-hmm. So he um, probably came up early 2000s, if my memory is correct. And he said when he was coming up, He had no idea which minor league teammate was on the 40-man roster or who was on the prospect list or what they were saying about him. He had no idea. When he showed up to a double-A game, it was just like college where he had his teammates. Um, And he made the point that these days with smartphones, I mean, you can type your name into Twitter if you're a prospect. And every time you do that, new stuff will pop up. And that regard, I think it is hard mentally for a minor league player. A lot of us would give in to that temptation. And then maybe something you read, if it comes from a really established person, uh, creeps into your head. But as far as after the deadline, like you were saying, and um, the, the Padres Nationals trade, for example, I think the really know that something might be coming. Like, they're not surprised when their teammate gets traded because in a lot of cases, they read it might happen.
0: Mm-hmm. They've kind of gotten some some, you know, proposals have been put out there, or you know, like five destinations for one Soto, and they see some stuff, and they can kind of put things together. Um, talking about some of the current minor league players, a few uh, Chihuahuas just got called up uh, to San Diego, specifically Luis Campusano and Rosario. Is it Yugi Rosario? Am I saying that Eggie. right? a
1: Eggie, Eggie. fun name, yeah.
0: Eggie Rosario.
1: Yeah, I asked him that the first day I met him, and uh, what
0: a fun name. (laughs) So I kind of want to ask you about both these guys. And the first one is Came played a little bit in 2020. I think he actually got one game at the bigs. But 2021 was up and uh, struggled a little bit, didn't necessarily have the outcomes that he wanted to have. And so what have you seen him do differently this year and kind of how you think he's grown as a player so that this call-up here in 2022 is going to go a little bit better for him?
1: Yeah, I think the phrasing on a lot of the articles you read about him is a bat-first catcher, and I think mm-hmm. by his admission, by the Padres' admission, they would agree with that. So the thing I've noticed with him, very free-working on his catching, on receiving, on blocking balls, on throwing. He is a great arm. Um, and there were some subtle things you'll notice where, on a meeting at the Mount, he's really animated with talking to that pitcher. Um, I remember watching a recent game at home, the middle of the game it wasn't a dramatic ninth inning situation land left a couple of runners on base with a pop-up to the outfield and as that ball was caught Camposano just gave a fist pump down by his side and that showed me this is a guy who's really committed devoted to that day's game um, even at a time when there were some Padres catchers in the major league you know I think a lot of people might wallow in that and think I should be called up but he didn't do that. I think when he was with El Paso, he was really locked in on that day's game. Um, you know, and and as you described, he went to the majors in 2020 at a very young age. At that time, he was probably only 23 now. Um, mm. Sometimes when guys make it that fast, you don't realize how young they still
0: are. I mean, Luis could be a Padres catcher for a long time. Watching Eggy Rosario, uh, fantastic year there. Uh- 293, 374, 520, 21 home runs. So I'm interested to see how his game translates to the MLB level, but also what does it do to a Triple A team who is coming in the stretch run of the season and losing a key player like that to the bigs. I mean, I'm sure everybody's happy for him, but kind of what does that do to the rest of the team and and the morale for everybody in the clubhouse?
1: I think there's a recognition that every Triple A team loses players, so. Mm-hmm. The truth is i I think most AAA rosters are better in june than they are in august for that exact reason because there's more call-ups along the way you know you look at for example for assignment nomar mazara so there is a chihuahuas player who goes up for him jose azokar and el paso does not get anybody back you know it's different than somebody being optioned who's coming back down to triple a so there's no doubt el paso's lineup has a little bit less sock than it did three days ago but i think that the teams they're competing against to try and go to the playoffs you could probably say the same thing about them
0: you've watched this team all season and i know that the top 30 prospect lists, obviously that's what a lot of the fans are looking at and they see the guys who are highly rated like a campisano like a rosario Uh, is there some some unheralded prospects that maybe we're not talking enough about that are on this team and the first guy that i thought about was maybe like a tyler colway or somebody but who who were we not talking enough about that we should be paying more attention to there in El Paso?
1: Yeah, Colway was the first name that came to my mind when you asked that. Um, in a small town. He told me once that he was surprised to get drafted. He didn't even think he was going to get drafted and he gets that call. <laughs> oh, okay, sure. Um, I mean, that's how off the radar he was up at University of Wisconsin, uh lacrosse. So... He's turned himself into machine. He has one of the best on base percentages in AAA. A. Had a great season last year as well. He has some strength, but he's not going to hit a ton of home runs. He's quick enough in the outfield, but he's not going to steal a ton of bases. But the thing that he does so well is maybe the most important thing in that he's really hard to get out long at bats on foul walls. Um, and here we are in late August and he has a 400 on base percentage. So he hasn't made it to the Padres. Um, I, I do think he will make it to the majors somewhere with somebody. I believe he's at a point now that he'll be a minor league free agent after this year. So maybe he'll do it next year, or maybe even late this year if something happens. But to me, if I had to look into a crystal ball, I could see Taylor maybe signing a minor league deal with a non-contending team next year and ending up in the majors. You know, maybe he's, uh, playing for Louisville and the Reds have an injury and he's in the big leagues with the
0: Reds by May, something like that. We are talking to Tim Haggerty, broadcaster for the AAA El Paso Chihuahuas and author of the new book, Tales from the Dugout, 1001 Humorous, Inspirational, and Wild Anecdotes from Minor League Baseball. And this book comes out March 21st. It's your, actually your second book. Your, your first one was about um, off-the-wall team names and the stories behind them. So I know that that in your free time, you write for a lot of different outlets as far as freelance pieces and things go. What made you decide to write a book about minor league baseball team names, and then a book about some of these stories that you've collected over the years and that you've researched and found out.
1: Yeah, my first book came out in 2012. Uh, The origin for that was in 2004. My first year doing this, I was the broadcaster for the Idaho Falls Chuckers. And that was the first year of that team name at the time. And so many people would ask me, what is a chucker? Where does that name come from? So uh, I developed an interest in some history of minor league team names. And there really was in mind one that explained the team names that had some images next to it. So for the next um, seven, eight years, that was my side project. I worked on it. I had no idea how this would get from my laptop into a bookstore. So at the time I actually bought how to get your book published for dummies, which talked about how to write a proposal, how to contact people, what a publisher is looking for. So that was a great experience. That was in 2012. Um, and as part of that research, I came across a story in 1888 of a Texas League game being delayed by a wild bull when it ran <laughs> on the field in Austin, Texas. I was reading this in a newspaper archive, and I thought, well, if I've never heard of this story, and I do this for a living, I don't think a lot of other people have either. And I found just so much stuff from minor league history on newspapers.com, on old Spaulding and reach baseball guides, interviewing people. And then as far as more modern stuff, you know, making a note when you see that the state college spikes in 2016 have a game delayed when a goat goes on the fields. Okay. You make a note of that, save the link, uh, tracking some modern stories. And I should say uh, a Sabre member, Al Arrighi, also got into this and assisted me with research and, and he found some great stuff as well. So yeah, I've been working on this one since 2012, and it's great to see it out there now and available. Yeah,
0: it's a uh, publication date, March 21st. But in the meantime, wherever you get your books, Amazon, local to bookstores, go ahead and pre-order it now so that you have it when it comes out. Uh, what is craziest story that's happened for a game that you've been broadcasting? And I'm thinking about maybe the one that happened in Mobile. <laughs> yeah, that that was the first one that came to mind. Um, so out of the 1,000-month
1: stories in the book, I'd say only about a dozen are from games that I covered. But one was 2007, Mobile at Montgomery. And Mobile had this pitcher, Matt Elliott, who allowed the game-tying home run in the bottom of the eighth inning. And he got so upset that he went into the dugout bathroom and slammed the door. And when he slammed the door, the lock somehow jarred and connected to the wall. And he locked himself in the bathroom. Well, he's still the pitcher in the bottom of the ninth inning. Mobile takes the field, and there's no pitcher, but there's nobody warming up. The manager, Brett Butler, is literally scratching his head, talking to the umpires. They had to bring in a new pitcher because Elliott was locked in the bathroom and was stuck in there until 40 minutes away. Montgomery Fire Department had to get this door open and let him out. And this poor guy, who was a very nice guy, but... This was illustrated in the New York Times. Um, you know, he became known as the guy who got locked in the bathroom that year.
0: And and so when you're researching the book and you're you're getting all of these stories, I imagine that there's a lot of different ways you can think of to to sort this and order this. Is it chronological? Is it by by you know, like here's the section on animals that have interrupted games? Like how do you organize all of this for a book?
1: Exactly. That was a decision because the story is stretched from 1877 to 2022. Um, what I disagreed with this, that this was fine was go by category. So there's like six or seven chapters. One of them is batters and runners, pitchers and fielders, umpires and leagues, teams and ballparks, um, wildlife and nature, as you predicted. And then there is this uh, pile of stories that really were so bizarre. They didn't fit in anything. So I just called that the best of the rest. And that's how we closed the book.
0: The best of the rest uh, of the 1001 stories. What is your favorite story from the book? Like the one that you just blew your mind when you read it. Couldn't believe it was true. And it turns out it's real.
1: Yeah. Um, man. Great. St- great question. Um, I always was entertained by the crazy trades, which have happened over the years. Uh, For example, in 1921, Dallas traded a pitcher, Joe Martina, to New Orleans. for (laughs) And that wasn't the only one. Uh, A couple of years later, 1930, there's this Wichita Falls pitcher named Yule Moore. He got traded for a plate of beans. And then that same year, a San Antonio player got traded to Dallas for a dozen donuts. (laughs) So I have some of these crazy trades in there. Um, uh, Two more, if we have time, I'll make them fast. Two more quick trades. 1931, Chattanooga had this really headline-grabbing owner, Joe Engel, and he traded his shortstop to Charlotte for a turkey, and he served the turkey at their winter banquet, and he said the turkey was having a better year.
0: There's like a legendary story that somebody got traded once for a bag of baseballs. Is that true? Do you know? Yes. Kerry Leitenberg got
1: traded from an independent club in Minnesota to the Atlanta Braves for uh, two dozen baseballs. <laughs> but there is there is one around the time of Leitenberg in the 90s, around the same era. Mm-hmm. In 1997, the San Diego got a minor league catcher from Cleveland, Sean Mulligan, for a treadmill. Kevin Towers, the late general manager, who I got to know, just a great guy. I mean, for all his and so funny. And the Padres needed a treadmill, and they were talking, and they said, well, instead of trading them for cash considerations, can you ship me a treadmill? And Cleveland said, okay.
0: It's, I mean, I I guess it's very dependent on need at that time. And it's like, you know, we could go out and do all of this. We could just have them give us one. And so do you, I wonder if you have to put like minimum standards on the performance of the treadmill so that you're not, you know, it's not. like a poor performing treadmill it's like it has to have these features i just i can't think about how yeah, to work great. that out
1: is there like a warranty like if it breaks after one month do you get the player back good
0: yeah who's covering that or you know the the donuts i can't uh, i assume they were i just have to ask about the donuts i assumed they were local donuts that were really good or there was some sort of unique thing about the donuts or was it literally just donuts That's what I
1: really tried to get into was the newspaper archives and really try to tell, okay, is this totally a publicity stunt? What's the origin of this? Uh, The guy, Joe Martina, for example, he was from New Orleans and his family, they were oyster shuckers. So it was kind of, we're trading the oyster guy for oysters was the origin of that. On the donuts one, got reading between the lines that the team was so upset with this player, Len Dondero, that not only do we want you to leave town, we want you to get out of here for only a box of donuts. It was a rough and tumble time back then. People (laughs) were not always sensitive. You know, that's what I found in this book and other research is there's this perception that professional baseball in the 1800s or in the early 1900s was gentlemanly. It is absolutely not true. It has never been true. It... It was a time when I mean, and I have some of these in the book. Umpires, they physically would punch umpires. They there were times that umpires were chased out of ballparks. There was this poor guy named Kane. Don't know his first name in the early 1900s 1905. He was umpiring a game in Toledo and he gets bombarded with eggs with mud flying at him. He's running out of the ballpark, trying to get back to his hotel. It was not a peaceful time. It was a time where these players, they were a bad season away from going back to their hometowns and working in a mine or a factory or a construction site for coming out of college baseball the way they are now. And these guys, for that reason, they were playing brutally, viciously. Um, and I, I try to give a flavor for that. You know, I don't describe things that were like violent, but, um, there's some, some really, some scene that will blow people's mind compared to what happens now. Uh, another one of my favorites, 1899, kind of along the same lines. There was this player, Mike Donlin, who went on to be a pretty solid major leaguer. Donlin was a good ball player, but sp- a lot of time at saloons and in 18 of the cardinals from jail he was in jail for public drunkenness in santa cruz california where he was playing for a minor league team and the cardinals wanted him and they sent a telegram to the jail saying can you get him on a train we want him to play for us
0: <laughs> i can just imagine how that would go now if a, if a prospect was was Called up and he was currently in jail from you know <laughs> something like that. Just how, how big of a story that would be and how impossible it'd be to get that player. So that's it's so if you want to be entertained and you want your preconceived notions about what baseball was like back in the back in the old days, challenge, definitely go out and get the book. Comes out March 21st, available wherever you get your books, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all the different providers. Uh Tim, if folks want more information about uh you want to follow you and what El Paso does? How can they go about doing that?
1: Yeah, thank you. I'm on Twitter at TD Haggerty. And that's one g h a g e r t y. And uh, yeah, like you said, the books available on on Amazon and also on Barnes and Noble. Uh, Independent bookstores as well have it. So that's what's been fun is to really see how many people go into a book. There's editors, there's designers, there's salespeople. Uh, that made this so thanks for letting people know about it